We have just one page, hoping that uh, this will give me more time for opening it up for uh, any participation that you would have this evening. But uh, this went to press on Wednesday, this being uh, Thanksgiving week and so on, and so there are still some things I wanted to add. And uh, so there will be some things tonight that uh, aren't on this sheet uh, that uh, we will be talking about. But we're going to be focusing our attention tonight on fellowship. Uh, we have adopted as a name Bible Fellowship Church. I don't know if that ever struck you as particularly odd. Uh, why would we want to take the name of Bible? Certainly uh, everybody can readily understand why a church would want to be identified with the Bible. Uh, why it want to be known as a Bible-believing, preaching, uh, teaching church. So Bible certainly is central. But tonight we look at this word fellowship. Fellowship. That we are the Bible Fellowship Church. We looked last week at the book of Acts, and if you look at your handout, Acts 2, 41 and 42. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And I emphasized how baptism was the means of adding to the church. And they, that is all those that were baptized, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we've been talking about the importance of uh, preaching and teaching the Word of God. And fellowship. And uh, if you notice, the ESV says the fellowship. So tonight we're talking about fellowship. And we begin with the essence of fellowship. There is no good English word to explain the Greek word for fellowship. There is no synonym that really covers the depth and the riches of this Greek word for fellowship. In fact, it takes a lot of words uh, to communicate what is found in this one simple word of fellowship. And so we want to unpack that a little bit for you this evening. And one of the places I, I decided to go to is in the book of Philippians. And you see it there. And the ESV says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your participation in the gospel. That's our word for fellowship, koinonia, participation. Oh, excuse me, partnership. Partnership in the gospel. The NIV, because of your partnership in the gospel. The NAS says, in view of your participation in the gospel. King James, for your fellowship in the gospel. And the Amplified Version reads, I thank my God for your fellowship, and then it puts in parentheses as it tries to unpack what that word means, your sympathetic cooperation and contributions and partnership. All of that to try to describe what fellowship is, and that doesn't come close uh, to talking about what fellowship is. So I would submit to you that fellowship is talking about a mutual involvement. There's the aspect of participation. Uh, a mutual involvement that is more than just participation. It's actually, that, that, why the word partnership? It's working together. It is a mutual coming together 
to participate in a partnership of sharing in the work of God. Sharing in the work of God. So a key element of fellowship is involvement in the work of God. That is the basis of the camaraderie. That's the basis of the unique relationship that we come together to be involved, participate in, partner in doing the work of God. And without that involvement, without that participation, without that partnership, you really don't experience fellowship. Fellowship is this strange kind of ethereal uh, feeling of belonging, of being a part of something that is bigger than you are, all right? When we think of fellowship today, it's usually associated with eating, okay? Now we're gonna have a time of fellowship, which means we're gonna bring out food. Uh, and uh, that's what fellowship is. Fellowship is sitting together eating. Well, that can be a small part of fellowship, but it certainly isn't exhaustive, and it isn't even central to the concept of what fellowship is. It is this involvement of, of working together, of participating in the work of God. So as you enter in, in partnership and participation in working with others and doing the work of God, you experience fellowship. You experience fellowship. Now, why is that significant to understand? Well, sometimes people will say, I don't really feel like I fit in. <laughs> I don't really feel like I'm a part. Uh, I, I don't really feel like uh, I'm, I'm welcomed into the life of the church. Now, fortunately, that isn't said too often, but it is sometimes said. And the reality is that to really fit in, to really be a part, uh, you need to be involved. Uh, you need to be actively engaged somehow in ministry that brings you into a unique bond and relationship to other people. And uh, that is one of the things that, that makes our church unique. I mentioned when I gave my status of the work report at our last congregational meeting, and I'm sure you all remember this, um, but when I gave that report, I mentioned that the denomination had set as a goal that there would be 14% of people that, have, that are regular attenders that would be actively engaged in serving the life of the church. Uh, shoot for 14% uh, is what uh, the goal was. <clears throat> we are somewhere between 70 and 80% of uh, the people that are in our church that participate in active ministry in some way. Now, to just give you a perspective on that, this comes from the help of Pastor Dave and uh, all of uh, the things that he tracks in the life of our church. <clears throat> there are 150 different people that are involved on a regular rotating basis, serving in some capacity during our morning worship service. Am I saying that right? All the services, Wednesday evening, all those. Okay, all three services. Okay, so to man Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, and 
morning worship services. Now we're just talking about services. Wednesday night, Sunday night, we're not talking about people mowing grass and all that other stuff, okay? Just the people that are greeters, uh, the people that are ushers, the people that are in the nursery, uh, the people that are teaching for Wednesday nights. Uh, ministry somehow in Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, Sunday morning, there are 150 people rotating through those ministries. 150 people. Now think about that percentage in the life of our congregation. And we're not even talking about people on property maintenance. We're not talking about people that mow grass. We're not talking about all the other things that people do in terms of dishes on Fellowship Sunday and, and cooking and providing. I mean, when you start taking all of those things into uh, view, you can see that there is a tremendous amount of participation in ministry in the life of our church. And that is the basis of fellowship. That is the basis of belonging. That is the real way in which you are going to get to know other people in a way that you don't just by attending Fellowship Sunday and sitting at a meal. It's good, you can talk to someone, but it's not like going back and doing the dishes with them and talking about life, uh, talking about ministry, talking about the church, talking about what's going on in, in their experience, uh, sitting with people in committees. You learn their likes, their dislikes. You get an appreciation for their wisdom, uh, for their temperament as they're making decisions and sometimes are agreeing with those decisions, sometimes disagreeing with those decisions. The real way to foster not only belonging but appreciation for one another is in this working together to participate involvement in a striking manner. Now, if I could have my uh, overhead slide here. In Philippians 3.10, I, I, I want to just uh, dissect this, this verse for, for a moment. Paul says in the book of Philippians, and what I did was, starting with chapter one, uh, Paul thanks the Philippians for their participation in the gospel, the word for fellowship in the gospel. So what I did for my own benefit was just reread um, the Philippians again and looking for everywhere the Greek word for fellowship appears in the book of Philippians and what does it teach me about fellowship. And what was striking to me was when I came to Philippians chapter three, verse 10. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I don't know if you ever thought about that verse in a lot of, uh, well, in, in a, in a uh, measured way, but for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Why does Paul say to die as gain? It isn't because he's thinking of the streets of gold. It isn't because he's, he's thinking about no more pain and no more misery and no more heartache and all those things are true and all those things are valuable, but it's because of the fact that he's gonna be with Christ. That is the greatest thing about death. He 
is going to be with Christ. He is going to see Christ. He's going to experience Christ in a way in which he hasn't experienced him in this life. And he looks forward to being with Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, verses leading up to this, it says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So Paul says, for me to live as Christ, he is saying in chapter 3, verse 8, that means that his whole life is dedicated to, to trying to know Jesus better, more intimately, more experientially. He wants to know Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. He wants this more intimate, personal knowledge, that I may know him. He knows Jesus is his savior. He knows Jesus as his Lord. He's experienced uh, revelation. He has experienced visions. He has heard Jesus on the road to Damascus, but he's saying, I want to know him better. Uh, I want to understand him more fully. I, I want to have an experiential relationship to Jesus Christ. And it is in that context that we now read verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may, excuse me, I'm reading the ESV, NES, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. That there is a fellowship that is associated with suffering. So to understand fellowship, I want to unpack what Paul is saying when he's talking about the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. He's talking about a participation in Christ's sufferings. The uh, ESV translates it, I share in Christ's sufferings. But we can understand that in three ways. First, the participation in the sufferings, that is, suffering in a similar manner. And that as Paul suffers, the way that Jesus suffered, he develops a greater appreciation for Christ's sufferings. So he knows Christ better when he suffers in a similar fashion in which Jesus suffered. When he is ridiculed, he understands Jesus' ridicule. When Paul is mocked, he understands Jesus' mocking. When Paul turns the other cheek, he understands Jesus' turning the other cheek. He understands better what Jesus went through because of what he is going through. And the more he goes through, the more he understands Jesus. Secondly, the participation in Christ's sufferings 
are suffering for a similar reason. Listen to this verse, Colossians 1.24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Now, how in the world is Paul making up for Christ's lack of afflictions or sufferings? That sounds like an odd idea. But the thought is that Christ suffered so that people would experience eternal life. He suffered so that people would be saved. Now, Paul can't save people in the way that Jesus did. He can't bear their sins. He can't die on the cross. He cannot be involved in any propitiatory work, but he can suffer with the goal, with the intent of people coming to faith. And Paul says that as I suffer for the sake of the church, as I suffer for the sake of God's people, I'm actually participating in the work of Jesus Christ. I'm not only following his example, I'm actually carrying out what Jesus started, and that is giving his life for his people, and now Paul suffers so that his people hear the gospel and come to faith. So he's a full partner. But not only is he a full partner, but again, now he understands redemption in a whole different light than which he understood redemption before. The more he suffers, the more he understands the resolve of Jesus to suffer, the more that he suffers with the intent of bringing people to Christ Now he understands the way in which Christ suffered for Paul in bringing him to Jesus Christ. It brings him into a unique experiential relationship with Christ. Fellowship. Fellowship that can't be known without the suffering. That can't be experienced without the suffering. All of this is communicated through the experience of suffering. And then thirdly, The participation in Christ's sufferings speaks of the triumph over Christ, uh, the triumph over his sufferings. The power of the resurrection. Notice Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings. And then this statement, becoming like him in his death. Becoming like him in his death. Dying for the same reasons that Jesus did for a people to be saved. And also dying with the same confidence. Paul says, I have confidence in the resurrection. I want to fully understand, I want to greater appreciate the resurrection. And Paul says, the more I suffer and the more I experience, the more I realize the truth. of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in in 2 Corinthians, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, 
That is removing the thorn of his flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. Notice these are sufferings. Weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul says, when I find it difficult to do these things and trust in Jesus, I find the strength to do it. And he says, I'm glad that I am weak, for I learn about Christ's strength. And the more he learns about Christ's strength, the more he learns about the power of the resurrection, the power to deliver. And so Paul says, through what I am going through, I have greater confidence in Jesus and what he's done for me and what he's doing in this world and the experience of uh, being with him in heaven. Even as Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He is assured of the presence of God and his acceptance. This is fellowship. Fellowship. This involvement that results in experiential knowledge and relationship and spiritual growth. That is the aim of fellowship. An experiential knowledge of the truth of God's word in relationship to one another. All the one another passages of the word of God are experienced as we work together, as we share with each other. So now back to your handout. Uh, Quickly, the goal of fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Uh, So the goal of fellowship is to promote love for one another and encourage one another and help one another to do good works. The means of fellowship. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of self, but encouraging one, together, one another. So this meeting together is the means of fellowship. It is a meeting uh, that has the connotation of, of worshiping together. It's not the only way, but it is a primary important way of fellowship, of meeting together for worship. For worship. Uh, and to, when we come for worship, to encourage one another. Um, if someone sits at home and doesn't gather for worship on a regular basis and it might not be of any fault of their own maybe uh, they uh, are an invalid maybe they have some kind of disease that, that they can't come out but the reality is If you are sitting at home and you are not able to be not only attending but involved, you're going to feel out of it. You're you're not going to feel the, quote, fellowship of the church. And what is important to understand is, and it doesn't matter how often you're visited or who's visiting you. 
Because that can't make up for it. That can't replace it. It's impossible. If you've ever been in an experience where you've been heavily involved in something and drop out, uh, you know how there's a difference in relationship. I, I know it, uh, but I, I can give you an illustration, but it's not going to mean anything to you. But I used to be incredibly involved in our denomination, serving on a host of committees and boards, etc. And uh, I've stepped off those. Well, my relationship to many of my co-pastors is different today than it was 15 years ago because I was sitting in meetings with them time and time again. We'd be talking about families. We'd be talking about the relationship. You, you can't maintain that without that involvement. It's just impossible. You can't feel a part of the church without being a part of the church. You can't feel the participation without participating. That's why fellowship is so important and that we understand it in that light. It's more than sitting in a pew. It is that engaging in the involvement of the work of God together. <clears throat> the necessity of fellowship. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So it says that there, there's a habit of some to neglect meeting together. That's unfortunate that, that uh, some fall into that habit. And uh, there's nothing different today than it was in the early church. Some fall in the habit of neglecting coming together. <clears throat> and if you look at the end of uh, on, on verse 25, and I'm under the necessity of fellowship, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near is re referring to the Lord's return and the difficulties and the hardships that are associated with it. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That which is going to keep us strong and healthy is this fellowship, this, this engaging in the work of God together and the mutual encouragement and help that comes from that. That keeps you spiritually healthy. To neglect it makes you spiritually weak. You're not receiving the encouragement. You are not experiencing the camaraderie. You are not sensing how what you are doing is vital to the work of God. And I certainly hope that tonight, that whatever way in which you serve in life of the church, whether that be mowing the lawn or doing the dishes or hanging the decorations or singing, it all works together to create who we are and allows the work to go forward. The person who's opening the door, uh, welcoming people, uh, is incredibly significant so that people feel welcome, uh, they wanna come back. All of these things, to be in the nursery and to be caring for young children and for parents to feel that their children are safe and secure. I can't tell you how valuable that is. So it's, 
this aspect of together doing the work of God. That's what fellowship is. That's how it's experienced. That's how it's obtained. Uh, don't have any great uh, discussion questions for you tonight, uh, but maybe you can come up with some. Uh, what, uh, any thoughts, comments, response? Yes, Nate. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I think so. Yeah, it's that, that experience of trusting in Jesus. You know, unfortunately, so many times we are not forced to trust in Jesus. Because many times what we're doing, we can do on our own strength. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to thank God for our uh, meal when... We know when the next meal is coming from. We're, we're supposed to uh, be thankful for our daily bread. Most of us know where not only today's meal is coming from, but tomorrow's and next week's and maybe next month's. Um, so if there isn't a need to trust him, it's hard to learn and develop trust. Uh, so yes, I think that's very, very true. If I couldn't, if you couldn't hear the brother, he's talking about the persecuted church and why it tends to grow and be more fervent, uh, because they are experiencing that fellowship of his sufferings. They, they are experiencing the commitment that it takes uh, to serve God. A commitment that you know, we talk about in terms of, you know, you didn't stay home and watch TV tonight. You came out to be here. Now think about it for a moment. You know, I mean, really, I mean, what, how much effort does that take? And I, I do appreciate your being here, and I do know it, it's cold outside, but the reality is it didn't take any real effort on our part. We didn't really sacrifice to be here tonight. We didn't have to worry about a gun being put on our head. We didn't have to worry about being robbed on the way. You know, when, when we talk about sacrifice, we, we really a lot of times don't understand what it is. But, but when we really experience it, that's when God becomes real to us. When we step out in faith. When we are trusting God for what we can't do. Whether that be financially, whether that be physically, whether that be mentally, whether that be in terms of our uh, stamina. But, but when we say, you know, Lord, without you, I don't know how how I could do this. And we experience fellowship as a congregation when together we say, we don't know how we could do this without God's help. And as we trust him together, it brings us together. So I, I said a lot more, but yeah, I, good, really good point. What's your second one? Mm-hmm. And what are some of the particular things? How do we, are you 
Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah that uh, those gifts aren't being exercised. Yeah, I, I, I spoke in Romans chapter uh, 12 and how if you're not exercising your gifts, somebody else trying to make up for it. But, you know, that whole illustration just shows how self-centered many times we are as Christians. People think about, if I'm not here, how that's affecting me. They don't think about, if I'm not here, how that's affecting somebody else. Uh, fellowship is always reciprocal. You can't have fellowship alone. You can't always be a taker. You also have to be a giver. You, 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 you take and you receive, and you can't always be a giver. You also have to take. You have to receive from others, and you have to give to others to have real fellowship. That's why I'm saying, no matter how many times somebody visits you, that's not the same as you visiting them. That's not the same as you sitting in the church. That's not the same as you being involved. It's that fellowship of participation in the work of God. Other, thank you, very good. Other thoughts, comments, issues, concerns? Yes, Pastor Dave. There's a verse that popped up in my search as you were talking that seems to fit very well with what you were saying. Uh, come, come up here. Yeah. Since you are close enough, you will not be intimidated by doing this. This shows you trust that I'm going to say something helpful. Uh, I don't know you should put that trust. Shows how naive I am. That's right. Uh, here we go. First John 1 John 1.6 seems to really support all that what, what Pastor's been talking about. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So the idea of fellowship there not only is an assent to certain truths, but also a participation in a living a certain way, an action involved for it to be true fellowship, which is what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's doctrine lived out. Yeah, it's what we say we believe in practice. That, and what is the experience that that, that creates? The atmosphere, the geniality, the praying for one another. All the one another passages are lived out in that participation. Thank you. Other thoughts, comments? Anybody have anything? I'm pointing to somebody, but I'm saying, oh, Lisa.
Yes, excellent, yes. A, a, a confession in that sense is a statement of faith. All right, so to confess is to make a declaration. It's a statement of faith, like Jesus is Lord, all right? That's confession. But then to live out the fact that he's my Lord, which means I'm under his authority, which means I submit to him, uh, that is the not wavering. That is the consistency of living out what we declare to be true. And you see, that has to happen as a whole. Because everything that we confess about our brothers and sisters in Christ, what we confess about the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for a people, everything we confess is to affect the way that we live, uh, the, 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 the priorities that we establish. Uh, and so if it doesn't, eventually, even that statement of faith will waver. Uh, well, it'll change into something that isn't truth any longer. Um, so uh, we must live the truth to guard the truth. Um, doctrine is, is meant to be lived out. It isn't just a, uh, a mental assent to certain truths, but it is the actual belief and trust in those truths. So I believe that he is my savior. So I believe he will save me. I believe he will help me. I believe he will deliver me. I can trust him in hardships and difficulties and trials. And he brings me through those things to help me to understand who he is, like the children of Israel in the wilderness, eating the manna, uh, learning of God's provision, learning that, that God will be faithful. He brings us through difficult things to give us experiences and experiences that we can share with each other. Just like on Thanksgiving service when we heard people's testimonies. You see, it is wonderful for a Jack Galley to stand up here and talk about his experience with cancer and his nausea and God's sustaining grace. That helps everybody as they struggle and especially those with cancer and those that know that nausea. And to hear of how God helps him. Corinthians says that we might comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted. That we talk about our experiences. But that takes vulnerability. That, that talks about our sinfulness and what God saved us from and how miserable it was before we were saved. Some of the terrible decisions we made and how hard that was on our families. What an encouragement for, for our young people to hear that, to spare them from those experiences. That's fellowship. That's that mutual encouragement of one another, talking about God's experiences in our own life and how that can be helpful to someone else and how I can be benefited from hearing about other people's experiences and what God has brought them through. Other thoughts? Yes, Cece, good and loud. You want to stand up and turn around and.
Any other thoughts, comments? Okay, let's pray. Our Father, help us to have a true, sincere fellowship. Lord, uh, give us the proper expectation. I, I, I pray that we'd have this understanding, this realization that you really can't feel apart without being apart. You, you can't really experience the depths of people's concern and care for each other without expressing that care and concern. Uh, to be engaged in the mutual activity, the development, the participation, to see Christ at work and rejoice together in what God is doing and using us all. We thank you, Lord, for the work of the church, which is done by your people. May we continue to encourage one another in our personal walks, and in our gathered life together as a people of God. May we prove to be beneficial. May we prove to be helpful. May it be encouraging as we gather together for worship. And Lord, may we appreciate the way in which people give of their time and their energy and their abilities. And in turn, may they appreciate the way in which we give our time and our energy and our abilities, and how that together we do the work of God. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.